Finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. Diabetes is a global epidemic. As I stated in last week's podcast, there are 29.1 million Americans living with diabetes, and in addition to this number is another 85 million people that are pre-diabetic. So it means that their sugars are higher than normal, but not quite high enough to be called a diabetic. A high percentage of these people will develop diabetes. And it's said that the cause of this, in most cases, is that they're insulin resistant. But what does this even mean? In last week's podcast, I had guest Dr. John Puthalil, author of Eat, You Live. He's returning this week to talk further about his revolutionary new theory on why we have diabetes, and yes, how we can prevent it, because we can, lower our medications, and perhaps even reverse it. Hello, Dr. John. Thank you for joining us again today for part two of Eat, You Live, your book and your revolutionary new theory on why people have diabetes. Anita, I thank you for having me on your show. I also thank the listeners of Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes. So, Anita, do you want to recap what we talked about last week? I do. Uh, and then, I okay. do. We did talk about your theory and how insulin resistance really, um, you, you didn't feel that it, it was the, um, it made sense. And you look deeper and deeper into this, and that's where you came up with your theory and wrote your book on how you can help people, you know, lower their di- their lower their medications, prevent diabetes actually, and properly and hopefully even re- you know reverse it. Correct, exactly. That's fabulous. So what we've said so far, and this is again for the listeners, this is a recap is that many people are being diagnosed, well, this is traditionally how you're diagnosed, by detecting sugar in the bloodstream at elevated levels that that should not be present if you don't have diabetes, and then they look at your age, and you're put in really in some sort of a category, whether you're type 1 or you're type 2 diabetic. That is correct. But Regardless, of, especially when you not only age, but if you are heavy, you are automatically assumed to be a type 2. And that was the main thing that I wanted to talk about and we discussed last week. Now, do you think that's even true if it's a younger person, so someone of the age of 13, 14, that's quite overweight? Are they st- they're not uh, saying that they're a type 2, are they? Would they not weigh heavily on their age group? Not necessarily, because I have seen children as young as 10 and 11 with type 2 diabetes because of their heaviness, and they had no test other than high blood sugar. And they're actually being treated as a type 2 diabetic. Yes, that, that is correct. So really they're going on which is the obvious, elevated amounts of sugar in the bloodstream. Uh, they take into account age and weight, and that's how Correct. you're diagnosed. Correct. Not if we had a test to measure actually the degree of insulin resistance, it could easily be avoided, and, and, and all these diagnoses can be very accurate. But unfortunately, we do not have as of yet, a test to measure insulin resistance that can be applied to every person. And that led you to believe why, or, or ask the question, I, I'm sorry, I have to rephrase that, ask the question, why do some people have diabetes and they're overweight? Some are thin and they have diabetes. Some only get it when they're, they're pregnant. They become a diabetic during a pregnancy. There were some questions you were asking yourself, and that's how you started to investigate even further and come up with your theory. That is correct. If I may, let me start with uh, the story of Randy. May I? Absolutely. Uh, 
As you know, or you may not know, my primary board certification was in pediatrics. My secondary certification is in, was in allergy and immunology. I practiced allergy in the state of Texas for over 30 years. One day, Randy came for a routine office visit. He is usually a very jovial fellow, but on that day, he appeared preoccupied. So I asked Randy, what's the matter? And he said, after looking at his watch, Doc, as we are speaking, my colleague is having a procedure done on her leg. And I asked, was she in an accident? He said, no, she had type 2 diabetes. I kept quiet. What? I was going to say, this is obviously a complication due to diabetes. Yes, yes, definitely a very severe complication. And that is what made Randy uncomfortable. Also because Rand, I knew from his medical history that Randy himself was a type 2 diabetic for a long period of time, but he was very pleased to have his blood sugar under control with medications by mouth, and he always took pride in that. So I did not know what to say. Something was weighing heavily on his mind because the procedure done or being done on his colleague's leg. I waited and then Randy started. Doc, I had my visit with my family doctor last week and my blood sugar is out of control in spite of my taking medications. She wants me to start on insulin. You see, my colleague who is having the procedure done on her leg was on insulin. She kept her blood sugar down, but that did not help her. I have a business to run. I have to travel. I have children in school. Doc, I need my legs. I don't want to take insulin. I let Randy calm down a bit. Then I told him, Randy, I have a different theory of type 2 diabetes. Randy said, tell me. I said, Randy, you know I have been doing research on the natural mechanisms of hunger and satiation. As part of the research, I started thinking what happens to the nutrients that are absorbed from a meal before your next meal. And I came up with a completely different way of explaining elevation of blood sugar without the need to invoke insulin resistance. First I thought, no, this cannot be correct because insulin resistance is the accepted theory as a cause of type 2 diabetes for over 75 years. However, because I had no training in hormonal diseases, I was not tied to a concept, so I thought, let me look into this a little more deep. So, this is what I found very interesting. Out of 200 types of cell in the body, only three develop insulin resistance, or at least that is what is claimed in the textbooks. And that is what we have been taught in medical school. And the interesting part for me was that all three develop resistance at the same time. It's as if there is a conspiracy of cells. And even though type 2 diabetes is considered a progressive disease, 
no other cells join in in this conspiracy conspiracy even after he have had type 2 diabetes for 10 or 20 years now by an extraordinary coincidence if you are a diabetic during your pregnancy the same three types of cells become resistant at the same time so that i thought was very strange now i asked randy do you have a computer in your office he said yes you put in data and use a program to analyze that he said yes suppose you want to change the type of analysis you have to change your programming randy said yes and you have to do it one computer at a time regardless of the number of computers you have he said yes now think of 30 billion fat cells they becoming resistant to insulin who wrote the who wrote the program how is the programming inside the fat cell changed one by one because the insulin resistance theory claims that all the resistance actions take place inside the cell so the programming of a fat cell which has been responding to insulin has to be changed it has to be reprogrammed who does that now randy one of your medications for diabetes claims that it makes the cells more sensitive to insulin he said yes has anybody explained to you how this happens randy said no really now randy if somebody told you that you, your vision is impaired without any testing will you believe it no if somebody told you your hearing is impaired without any testing will that make sense to you no now your doctor based on nothing more than elevated blood sugar has diagnosed you as a type 2 diabetic meaning that your liver your muscle and your fat tissue are not working properly so randy said doc i get the picture tell me your theory i said i will tell it to you based on two conditions one i cannot change your medications that is between you and your doctor he said okay second my theory is only a theory it is unproven it may not help you and randy said doc what i am doing now is not helping me is it so tell me so i explained to randy what i told you all last week in summary muscle cells are like hybrid like a hybrid car a hybrid car can use gasoline or electricity to run the engine and you won't feel the difference similarly muscles can use either glucose or fatty acid to produce the energy muscles need to function and you won't feel a difference when your fat cells are full whether you are lean or obese or pregnant excess fatty acids float in the blood the muscles pick up those use as fuel to generate energy leaving glucose in the blood and after a while the blood glucose level goes up and you are diagnosed as type 2 diabetic the solution randy is twofold you have to make two behavior changes the first one is to lose weight and that by that i mean to empty your fat cells the fastest way to lose weight is to avoid grain and grain based products because in my view grains are meant for the birds not for human consumption the milling 
and refining has made it easy for us to get grain and, and grain flour very cheap. And this is the reason why we are seeing the incidence of diabetic, diabetes, type 2 diabetes in epidemic proportions around the world where grain products are easily available. The second, Randy said, yes, I can see that. Then I said, the second is how you eat matters more than what you eat even if you don't eat any grains. And Randy looked at me and said, what does that mean? I have been eating a certain way for all these years. And I said, well, that is one of the problems. By this time of our interview, it was time for lunch. So I said, Randy, let's go out and have lunch and I can explain this to you better. So we went to a local restaurant and I showed him how to eat. After we finished the lunch, Randy said, Doc, your theory makes sense. I understand it, but I don't know whether I can do it, but I'm going to give it a try. On that day, in my office, Randy weighed 360 pounds. I did not see Randy for over a year. When he came back, I could not even recognize him at first. He called me, took me straight to the scale, and he stood on the scale. He weighed 240 pounds. He had lost 120 pounds in over a year. Very then, impressive. Beaming, yes. I did not expect it, honestly. He, with a beaming smile, he turned to me and said, Doc, I had my medical checkup last week, and I had my blood test, and I'm off all my diabetic medications. I said, Randy, we have to do a glucose tolerance test. He said, why, and what is it? I, I told Randy, during the medical school uh, studies, we are taught that once you are insulin resistant, you are insulin resistant for the rest of your life, even if your blood sugar is normal. A glucose tolerance test will tell us whether this is true or not. You go to the laboratory, they will give you a pre-measured amount of glucose in liquid, usually about 75 grams. They will check your fasting blood sugar. It should be below 6.1 millimoles or 110 milligrams in, in the United States. In one hour, it should be less than 10 millimoles. And in two hours, it should start coming down to less than 8.5. But I'm going to send you for a four-hour glucose tolerance test. They will check your blood sugar before you start and every hour for four hours. When the test results came back, it was as normal as could be. I sent the results to, his, to Randy's family doctor, and he agreed that Randy's diabetes has been reversed. You can see Randy and hear his testimony on my website, eatchewlive.com along with three others who had type 2 diabetes and were on insulin, they have also produced video testimony of what they experienced after reading my book. And all of them, I'm happy to say, are now taking less than one-fourth of the dosage of insulin they were taking before they read my book or the manuscript. If you want, Anita, I can make a short uh, talk about one of those three 
you tell me. Well, I'd like to ask you another question first, and that is now these people haven't completely come off insulin, but it's been greatly reduced. So that's correct. This could be very helpful in the way of eating for a type one diabetic. Yes, it can be. Again, I my I I did not write the book for type one. My initial objective was just to prevent those who are diagnosed with pre-diabetes. There are 80 million of them in the United States alone. To prevent them from going into a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. It was surprising to me that people who are already on insulin found that they can reduce the dosage of insulin they use by cutting down on grain and grain-based products. So I don't see why that cannot be applied to type 1 diabetics as well. Well, I've actually given up wheat and uh, dairy. Now, I did it for other reasons, and the first uh, reason I did it was inflammation. And on the advice of my doctor, I have some inflammation due to an accident. And he said, Anita, cut out dairy and wheat and see how you feel. Well, it made quite a difference in my pain level um, where the pain really subsided in some areas where it had been really bothering me. And so I keep it up. But it, it did, that, does, did that allow you to reduce your insulin dosage? It did. And I've, um, I, I can say that even if I exercise, so I take uh, two, two kinds of insulin. I take a long-acting insulin in the evening that will last me a 24-hour period. It's just, uh, It just keeps my sugar at a certain uh, rate. It helps it for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, mild insulin, you could say. Then I take a, a stronger, fast-acting fast insulin when I eat. But right. I only take it when I eat or maybe, you know, I've had a cold or something and, or, and the medication, if I even take any, um, has elevated for some reason my sugar. So I, I always watch my sugar and that would be what I take throughout the day, this fast acting insulin. That if I work out early in the morning, um, you know, my sugars are good when I get up. I don't have to take insulin till probably about two, three o'clock in the afternoon if I decide to eat then. Because I don't always get up every day, and I will admit this, <clears throat> what I don't do traditionally is I don't get up and eat every day at 7.30 in the morning and have lunch at, you know, uh, 11.50 and have dinner at 5 o'clock. When my children were small, you know, because of schedules and, and whatnot, our lives were a little more time-sensitive. But really, I eat when I'm hungry. Right. And I try not to overeat. And all these things, um, especially cutting out the wheat and dairy and looking at not just not just eating because it's noon, but because I'm hungry. Now, I might, if I had a low blood sugar, of course, I'm going to consume some sugar. But other than that, I eat when I'm hungry and I'm mindful of how much I eat. And cutting out the wheat and dairy, all of these things combined... Uh, really has made a tremendous difference. And not that I was on a tremendous amount of insulin to begin with, but I, I've been able to cut it down even further. That, that is the key. You don't know for each person how many units of insulin you will need. Uh, if you are a type 1 diabetic, you cannot escape insulin. That is a must. But you, the dosage you can adjust based on what your body needs. As we discussed last time, insulin is just a messenger to tell the cell that glucose is outside. So how much glucose a cell will need, it depends on your activity level. So if we can cut down to the minimum, the amount of insulin you will need to maintain normal blood sugar, you should do everything you, you possibly can. Well, when, I, when I've done these things, um, I've had comments come back to me uh, from the doctor saying, you know, wonderful things. Well, that's great. Your insulin has gone down. Your requirement for as much insulin has gone down. Everything's going well. And always, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. So it really is up to you as an individual on um, what you're going to do to take charge of your health. With, without 
And the doctors, they do support success, but you can't expect them to say, uh, here's a magical wand. This works for everyone. We know that we all need insulin. We know that we need certain things. And that's what doctors do. They help support support you and getting you know yourself back on track. But you can always go a step further in the case of diabetes. And you should be going a step further and looking at your overall health. Precisely, because nobody knows your body better than yourself. The doctors can apply what they see in general. Based on studies of hundreds of thousands of people, they get what is the average result. But how can the average result apply to you in your circumstances? Because if you take your day, what is considered an average day? If the very term average means no two days are alike. So what happened yesterday is not your average day. It is not similar to today. What happens today will not be similar to what happens tomorrow. So you cannot take the average and say, oh, last three days, this is what happened, so I'm going to do that today. It will not work. So you have to take charge of what is going on in your life, just like you did, Anita. Everybody has to take charge because doctors can only guide you. They are telling you what could be done, but ultimately you have to decide how to take care of your own body. And what works for you, and what does success look like to you? Uh, it, uh, I'm sorry, I did not understand well, your question. Success, I think, is um, up to an individual. Where what I consider to be success in my health may not be success to somebody else. Maybe they want to go even further. Maybe some people are not quite where I am, but that's successful for, for them. And they feel good and they're happy with that. And I think that's important to remember too. Not all of us maybe want to dig as deep, but even little baby steps and maybe that's successful where you just start to change up some eating habits and make some healthy choices. Because I think a lot of times uh, people just look at, I'm a diabetic. Okay, you, you have diabetes, whether it's type 1 or type 2. You have diabetes. And so they want to eat in a certain way and they have sugar-free pop, they try to buy, you know, low sugar chocolate, everything's artificially sweetened and it's low, but it allows them to have these treats. And if they can manage their sugar that way, they may look at that as success. That wouldn't be success maybe for a lot of other people's, certainly not myself. I avoid all those things and I don't avoid them um, because I'm a diabetic and I want treats. I avoid them because overall I want to be a healthy person. When and it I comes think to that's type, a difference in perspective. Right. right. When it comes to type, type 2 diabetics, I'm sorry for interrupting, the, the success should be based on not having to take any medications to control your blood sugar. And this may be a good time for me to introduce what I mean by that and how it can be accomplished. So how if we can you, prevent or reverse is what you're saying? Both. Right, Both. prevent and reverse, so, in, t- in the case of type 2. Right. If you accept the theory that insulin resistance is the cause of type 2 diabetes, then you have no choice but to go on to medications to reverse it. And you are told, yes, you, you'll have to lose weight and do exercise. Both of these have not worked in the long term for most people as studies will show you. On the other hand, if you accept my theory that increased fatty acids in the blood causing the switch of fuel in muscles to burning uh, fatty acids rather than glucose is the reason for your high blood sugar. Now you have a different option. So you can ask the question, how did the blood sugar go up? The blood sugar in, uh, in my body, it went up because muscles are using fatty acid. 
where did the fatty acid come from from glucose i mean no, from from the blood for the muscles where did the where did they get fatty acid from the blood where did the fatty acid in the blood come from from fat in the liver the fat the liver produced why are the fatty acids staying high because the fat cells cannot accept it why are the fat cells not able to accept fat it is not because they are insulin resistant but because they are too full so how did the liver make the fat the liver used glucose to produce fat where did the glucose come from from the intestine how did the intestine get glucose from complex carbohydrates where did that come from you ate the complex carbohydrate yes you consumed it first and through your mouth it reached the intestine it got digested absorbed as glucose liver converted that into fat sent to the fat cell there is no room the liver then left the fatty acids in the blood muscles start using it so what is the solution the solution is to reduce the intake of complex carbohydrates and were what is the source of complex carbohydrate and here i have to tell you when i asked this question what is the source of extra sugar in your body my grandson heard this and said oh we get it from supermarket <laughs> anyway <laughs> in your case it comes from the complex carbohydrates or the grain based products now why am i against grain based products let us look into what grain flours are made of each molecule of grain flour can be made of up to 200000 molecules of sugar yes one molecule of flour can be up to 200000 molecules of sugar so when you mix flour to make a cake a cupcake or a pancake you are simply mixing glucose or sugar when you flatten dough to make pizza a pita bread or pie crust you are flattening a thick layer of sugar when you make naan or parotta or bhatura you are making it with pure sugar when you boil noodles pasta or rice you are boiling sugar when you pick two pieces of bread or two halves of a roll to make a, a sandwich you are holding sugar baked to be firm when you eat a bagel a croissant or donut you are eating sugar nicely crafted we are sculpture so, so they're all very high very high in sugar and they really they do are they, made of sugar they affect your blood sugar if for someone who doesn't produce insulin i can really tell you how it can affect your blood sugar because i i know that measurement i have to give insulin so that's right. very apparent to me on how it affects your blood sugars and how they can go up. So, I've always kept lower on on that scale, but cutting them out really made a difference. But it's difficult. That's not an easy thing to do, really. I mean, uh, no, I I I'm not suggesting it is an easy thing to do, but I'm suggesting is it is a doable thing. You have to decide what is important in the long term for your own body. Now, let me tell you this. if you boil rice without any salt or butter uh, how much of that can you eat you try it at your home you won't be able to eat much why because you cannot taste the rice why because the complex carbohydrate 
in rice is too large a molecule to fit into a taste bud or a taste receptor. So you will not be able to taste it. What you taste with the bread is mostly the salt or what you put on the bread. What you taste with the rice is what you mix it with. And the same goes for any other product you make with grain flowers. It is not the flour that is tasty, it is what is mixed with it. So what I'm suggesting is don't use the flour. You can still enjoy, in fact, you will enjoy more of what is enjoyable because now there will not be an interference from the carbohydrate molecule which can prevent the detection of the nutrient molecule with the taste receptor. The, the carbohydrate molecule will not interfere with it. You can concentrate on it. You can be more aware of what you are eating. You can be more conscious of what you are eating and enjoy it. So my, uh, uh, my prescription is enjoy what you eat, eat what you enjoy, just like a toddler, just like you did when you were age one to six. You had it. You did it. So you can do it again. Very true. Children will eat when they're hungry. There are, when I talk about, yes. They, there is a time when people worry, oh, my child's not eating. And even in our previous episode, we talked about children's eating habits. And they won't starve themselves but they'll eat when they're hungry. We don't right. need to force them to eat, which as parents we worry, okay, it's noon, this is lunchtime, or maybe they're in a school where, okay, lunchtime is at noon, we have to have a time schedule, and they might be forced to eat. But even then, they won't eat their lunch. A lot of the times, if they're younger, if they're you know toddlers in nursery school, it's because they eat when they're hungry. Correct. So when I talk about avoiding grains, people will ask me, is this not similar to Atkins diet or paleo diet? Uh, I said, well, you can call it whatever way you want. The, in order to lose weight, you have only one formula. You take in less energy-containing foods compared to what you were eating before. The body will draw stored energy from fat and you lose weight. In any of these diets, you can lose weight. The question is, then what? How do you maintain the reduced body weight? And that is where I think my book will make a difference because the part four of my book is strictly on how to maintain your weight. And I start with the same suggestion that eat what you enjoy and enjoy what you eat. And let me explain that further. This is similar to what you just said, Anita, as how a child eats. When I was in practice, practicing pediatrics, a common complaint was, uh, complaint from newly, uh, new mothers was, was, my child is not eating, my toddler is not eating. So I, I asked the mother, does the child have enough energy? Oh, he runs around or she runs around all the time. I get more tired. So if the child can run around and be well, don't worry about how much and what the child is eating. The child will eat where if there is food in the house, the child will not go hungry. Now, this is what we have to recreate. If you observe a toddler, whether it is your own or somebody else's or your neighbor's, it doesn't matter. You will see three things that a toddler does with regards to eating. Number one, the toddler will not eat unless he or she is hungry. I asked during my practice 10 overweight people to write down for two days the times when they felt hungry for two days in a row. Four out of ten never felt hungry for two days, but it did not stop them from eating for those two days. I asked them why. 
They said it is because it was time to eat. Hunger was never in their mind. So I told them, see, I grew up in India and some days I did not eat and I did not feel any hungry. Maybe because you were eating for me here. Because it is a common custom here to say it to people, there are starving people in India, so eat. <laughs> so now I understood why I did not feel hungry on certain days. Anyway, that's a side story. The second thing you will see with a toddler is, no matter how many dishes or food items you give, the child will pick and choose what he or she wants. They will not sample everything. They will just take what they want. The third thing you will notice is, regardless how much volume you put on the plate, once the child is satisfied, he or she will not open the mouth or eat anymore. You say, I'm full. They will get out, they would rather play. So this is the mindset you have to bring in. You have no business eating unless you are hungry. And when you eat, you have to concentrate on what you want to enjoy. And once you put it in the mouth, you have to be aware of each chewing motion. This is why I put the title Chew in the middle of the title of my book. The chewing is the most important act when you are eating a food. Each time you chew, you are releasing taste-producing or flavorful nutrients which can be registered by your taste and smell receptors. And the brain makes assessments based on the number of nutrients registered. And in return, the brain will create the sensation of enjoyment. The brain already knows what nutrients are deficit, deficient in your body. When a sufficient number of nutrients coming from that particular food is, is registered or are registered, the brain will let you know by decreasing the intensity of flavor or enjoyment of that particular item of food you are eating. That is the time to stop eating regardless of what is left on the plate. This is the, imp uh, this is the message I gave to Randy. Remember Randy I talked to, talk with? Right. This is how, what, I, what I showed Randy to do when we went to lunch. And this is what Randy practiced and still practicing today. Now, when you say you went to lunch with Randy, here's where I think a lot of people have difficulty. Um, and and I'm, I'm not eating wheat, so I'm not eating bread. Now, I do have buckwheat sometimes, and I do eat what they call live food, where I can have a bean-based, um, I'm going to call it like a, um, a flatbread. It's made from beans, and it just helps me put something on it that I can roll up, and it's out of convenience. That's what I think the, the hardest thing for a lot of people um, to when they switch is convenience because they might grab a sandwich out of convenience and you can hold it and eat it and people will eat at their desk and hold it and eat it and it's an easy thing to take if you're having an outing or as a snack we're just so used to this convenience and bread seems to be uh, the holder of the good stuff so right. if you look at pizza, it's, it's maybe you don't like the crust. I, I've never been a big fan of crusts of pizza, but I might like, uh, and, and I'm not eating cheese at the moment, but I do like the sauce. I like the vegetables on it. If I put meat on it, whatever I'm putting on it, that m mixture on the top of the pizza crust is really what I want. So I, I think that's part of the issue with avoiding these types of foods is our association with them and our lifestyle. This is exactly correct, and this is what is driving the type 2 diabetes epidemic. That convenience which the, the grain farmer, the grain companies, and the restaurants, and all other people are exploiting that convenience 
by providing enough complex carbohydrate as a carrier. It is not the part that you enjoy, but it, it is a convenient carrier. But the carrier, in my opinion, is what is causing the problem. So unless you address it directly, how can I avoid the carrier? Sometimes you may not be able to. I'm not suggesting that you should never eat bread or you should never eat pizza or a bagel. That is not what I'm saying. You, what I'm saying is we are eating way too much. If you look at nutrients that our body needs, we need about 118 that have been identified and many more yet to be identified. And you know what? Glucose is not an essential nutrient. So no carbohydrate is an essential nutrient. So when we talk about eating carbohydrate, it is strictly for convenience. Well, you're talking. So that is, you're saying complex oh. carbs, and not because car, carb. Th this is always something that I think becomes confusing. Carbohydrates is just sugar, and I understand you're saying that we don't need them. But I'm a person that really feels the effect of um, let's put the carbohydrates. And I'm just saying this meaning sugar, not coming from wheat, breads, whatever. If I don't have that, I, I'm very weak. And I am very weak. I force my liver to produce, you know, ketones, let's say. I just, in short, we discussed that in our last, our previous um, episode. And so you do need some carbohydrates, but isn't it rather the source and how much you're allowing? The, uh, well, again, you have to make a, dif a differentiation between type 1 and type 2. If you look at the Inuit people, in the Northern Territories or Alaska, they have gone for generations without eating any grains or grain-based products. Is that so? Well, they have, but again, that's what I was just stating. Carbohydrates, you're saying, um, coming from grains and breads. What I was saying is, in the case of using the term carbohydrates, carbohydrates may come from a half an apple or a banana but when it comes to grains i think this is takes on you know this is a whole other thing because you're getting a lot of carbs from grains and to be healthy you may want some fruits and vegetables and when they're broken down they'll be broken down into sugars which is carbohydrates carbohydrates also so i was just kind of changing the language a little bit just showing the difference i think when we say carbohydrates a lot of people automatically think that that's just breads and grains but it could be healthy things that convert to carbohydrates we just want to keep the breads and grains down absolutely the body needs glucose as you correctly said the source is what we are talking about right and because of convenience the complex carbohydrate from grains become the the biggest source of carbohydrate and they can be easily produced because of the cultivation and easily available easily affordable and that is driving the obesity and type 2 epidemic not only in this country but all around the world where grain based products are the staple food of many people it's, well, some things I think for whatever reason, maybe people are starting to clue into it. It could be just the diet craze, but I can go out and I'm not saying it's everywhere, but now and again, I'll go out and I see even at a burrito place, I won't have the carbs. So I went in with them, actually with some of my daughter's uh, friends and I was going to buy them lunch and that's where they picked and I'm not the food police. So I went and here I saw that they had a wheat-free choice where they took a large uh, piece of lettuce, romaine, and they put, they use that like the wrap and they put all, you know, toppings, you picked whatever you wanted, whether you were going to go vegetarian or meat or if you're going to have cheese or no cheese. And they use that instead of wheat. 
And I thought, brilliant, I can actually have something with you girls. And a lot of them were having that, including my daughter. They went with the leaf. So there is some options that are starting to happen. And there are some things that we can do to still have this, let's say, sandwich or wrap style thing, but convert it and use something different, change our thinking and not use wheat. This is the creative mentality that we all have. Everybody, once they decide to take care of my body, I need to put less grain-based carbohydrate into my body. I am a type 2 diabetic. I need to get this under control. I am in charge. Then everyone can take, based on their own circumstances, take action make the necessary changes and be creative and you may as well and uh, you may very well enjoy it and you can create your own dishes at home and when you go out you don't have to eat as much bread or grain-based products so it, when you had lunch with randy how were you guiding and shifting him was it just in the bread the wheat consumption, or does it go a little bit more beyond that when it comes to um, watching our carbohydrates and emptying out our fat cells? On that day, the carbohydrate part, it was easy for him to understand. The What we did on that day was the mechanics of eating, how to chew, because in his business, he's a very busy man. He did not have time to sit down and enjoy a meal. What he told me was he never enjoys eating. He just want, wanted to feel full. That was his enjoyment. One, once he felt full, he said, okay, I enjoyed my meal. And he told me, Doc, I don't enjoy each bite. I don't enjoy each time I chew, that is not my criteria. I just look for fullness of my stomach. And that is where he had problems. He was not enjoying the meal at all. So that is the biggest change Randy made in his way of eating. Be conscious of each bite you take. Be conscious of each chewing motion. And concentrate on enjoying for many people who have never felt the enjoyment of eating in that at that level, it will be hard initially. It may take three months for them to get to know what they have been or reactivate what they have been doing for years as a child. So that's what I, I showed Randy. Now what about people that crave certain things? Like, you know, a lot of people crave sugar, salt, fat. Let, let, let me tell you, as far as the craving is concerned, one day, when, again, when I was in practice, my nurse came and said, she grew up in Louisiana, and she said, I'm craving grits. I, I haven't had grits since my childhood. I'm ha having to eat grits every day, and she ate it, and she ate it. Finally, she went to the doctor, and she found out she had a deficiency of a vitamin, which is commonly present in corn. And when that was corrected, her craving went away. So and we could you, be craving something because we're, de we're deficient in something. Right. And you know people who craved raisin. That was because, me. I, was, I, right. I, I did tell you about that and we had a conversation. It was, um, and I'll share this story quickly. It was insane where I would, uh, I had this uncontrollable craving for raisins and I had no idea why it was raisins. It wasn't like I ate raisins all the time, but I would buy a tin of them and I would eat a tin of raisins a day. Now it wasn't ideal for my sugar, but I, I just managed my sugar the best I could and I, I managed it well and I ate all these raisins and then I ate so many uh, you know seven tins a week I would start to buy muffins raisin bran muffins and raisin bread and I would pick all the raisins out of them and throw all the bread out and just eat the raisins and this went on for a little bit 
And, you know, my kids are saying, why are you eating all these raisins? This is crazy. And my teeth started to almost hurt a little bit. So I went to the doctor and I said, told him what I was doing. And he said, I'm going to give you an iron test. And I said, an iron test? Why are you giving me an iron test? And he said, well, raisins have a lot of iron in them. So I had my test and it turned out that I was low in iron. I was still eating the raisins. He told me to continue. I went back a few weeks later and I said to him, well, I don't know what's going on, but I don't want raisins anymore. For about two days, I, you know, I just, I don't hate them. I just don't feel like them. And the test came back that my iron was at its proper level. So the bo- my bra- body spoke to me. Yeah. Your brain knew the source of iron when you were a child. How did your body get iron? And that memory is still there. This is what your brain can do because... All you have to do is restore what and how the brain can do for you in, with regards to your nutrient need. And in order to do that, each time you sit down to eat, you have to make it possible for your brain to know what nutrients are going through your mouth. If you don't register it, with the taste buds, with the smell receptors, how can your brain know what you're eating and how much is going down? So you think this is collected as uh, from when we're young and the brain registers, uh, we got this nutrient from this food and it can actually recall it. And this is maybe where our cravings are coming from. But if we're not in tune with our bodies, we're not listening to it, we're just... We just know we need something and we're eating. That is one aspect of it. The second is with the way things are cultivated. If you grow the same type of grain over and over, in the same field over and over, many of the nutrients that should be naturally present in that vegetable or meat or whatever may not be there in the same quantity as it used to be. This is the reason why you should eat a variety of fruits or vegetables or whatever you eat. There has to be variety because the concentration of nutrients in these newly made foods or cultivated foods can be different. So you're saying a variety meaning um, don't eat the same thing, just don't eat apples as your fruit. Have a if banana. You start eat, correct. If you start eating apple after a few days, you won't care much for it. Your brain will tell you, I don't need it anymore. Just like you did not need the raisin. When the meat, the need is met, the brain will let you know. So it's really being in tune with your body. Correct. Because I know people say, I'm craving something. I don't know what it is, but I need to eat. And then they'll just start to graze and graze. And yet that craving has not been satisfied. It, it all depends on, as I said, the nutrient content of that food. The food is just a packaging what nutrients are in it. If it does not contain the nutrient the body, the brain, your brain is looking for, you will not be satisfied until you get that particular nutrient. Just like your example, it was iron the body was looking for. Until it gets iron, if you had raisins without iron, you would not have been satisfied. No, I wouldn't have. I would... I- I don't know what I would have done if if I hadn't pinpointed that I wouldn't have been satisfied actually because I my diet pretty much consisted of raisins for that period it was it was crazy but it was raisins and second is you need a certain quantity and it was a lot but I've I've actually been iron deficient uh, in the past and I took pills and um, it was when I was pregnant and I didn't want to have to do that again so the not that I even knew I was iron deficient, but in this case, you know, it came out in raisins. I ate them and it worked. And I can see your point because actually, as I look back on that period, it wasn't like I ate uh, full meals and had this raisin craving. It was that 
I needed raisins and that's what I wanted to eat. I had, you know, uh, lighter things with it, but I, uh, my whole focus was on raisins and I ate a tin of raisins plus every day. Yes. yes. In, in my book, I give an experiment to prove the brain's ability uh, to regulate your nutrient needs and intake so we can talk about it now or later uh, it's almost well we're coming to the end of the hour so i would love to you to come back and talk about this because what you're really saying what we I, i'm really hearing here is it's not just about eating food we're always you know just eating food it's about getting the nutrients out of the food that we need. And this is how we can balance ourselves out and find our own potential weight, our authentic weight, which I'd like to get into in our next episode is the nutrients. This is going to help us stop our cravings and potentially find our authentic weight. Not just... That is correct. Yeah. I, d I, don't, I don't divide foods into carbohydrates, fats and proteins body is not looking for a carbohydrate or a protein or fat body is looking for individual nutrients and how to allow the body to have those that is the key to maintain your authentic weight as you just said as we all know there are, um, or hopefully we identify we might have a weight where we feel the best we feel healthy, we feel good, and it's not necessarily a weight that is published that, you know, Joan should be this weight, and uh, that means that all women in her age category for her height should be that weight. We have to feel good and be healthy, and, and I, I believe that's what you mean by authentic weight. Correct. Each individual is different based on what their bone density is, how much muscle mass they have. Uh, what organ weights they have each one is different how uh, what is their height so you cannot say based on your age your height you should weigh this much that will not make sense to me and this is where the fat cells come into it where you're saying you could be slim but your fat cells could be full Correct. So this may not be, even though you you look slim or a little, you know, you're not overweight, put it that way, your fat cells could still be full because that may not be your authentic weight. You, you are exactly correct. By looking at a person, you can never make a judgment whether that person is healthy, especially with regards to diabetes, because a thin person can have very small storage capacity and could become diabetic or have high blood sugar even when they look lean they are considered normal weight but that and exactly the opposite you may see a heavy person and you cannot assume he is unhealthy if all the fat can be stored away from the blood as far as health is concerned with in relation to diabetes or he may be as healthy as can be when it comes to that particular thing when it comes to diabetes as you're saying keeping it out of the bloodstream the the glucose and storing his and storing his or her fat so this this is what i think a lot of people get confused on well <clears throat> pardon me if you're slim you're not going to get type 2 diabetes and as you've put it that's not the case that is correct. So we're going to come, uh, I'd like you to come back and join us in next week in our next episode and talk about authentic weight and, and how we can help ourselves identify our authentic weight and rid the, ourselves of this excess fat. And that all goes together with authentic weight and how we can stop these cravings and get nutrients out of our food. I haven't, you know, I don't think enough people, including myself, until you put it this way, I just like to eat healthy. Um, I keep a lot of things out of my diet and it makes me feel good. I didn't honestly think of the nutrients, 
helping my cravings. Even though I had the situation with the iron and I knew that I needed iron and I tell my raisin story and I share it, I still didn't really look um, deep enough as you've just talked about it. I thought, wow, it's with everything, the nutrients. It's not just when it comes to certain foods. It's with everything that we're looking. Our body needs these nutrients. So this is very interesting. And I look forward to next week when we get into this. I will be happy to. Well, thank you for joining me today. And we'll pick this up next week. Where we'll talk more about your new theory and our authentic weight and cravings. All supporting preventing diabetes, lowering medications to do with diabetes, and perhaps even reversing it. If you have any questions about today's show, please email me, anita at anitacoach.ca, and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.